Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Hello, and welcome to our program, Lifestyle Improvement. This is your host, Rebecca. Today, we have with us Dr. Carla Hannaford. Dr. Hannaford is a biologist, a kinesiologist, and an educator with more than 20 years of teaching experience. She has been recognized by the Who's Who in American Education, received awards from the University of Hawaii, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and in 2006, she was a distinguished lecturer for the National Association of Elementary School Principals. Dr. Hannaford has been the keynote speaker for over 300 conferences worldwide, been quoted in well over a thousand books, scientific journal articles, and taught hundreds of workshops on the importance of movement, music, and art for lifelong learning and brain function. In addition, Dr. Hannaford is a prolific author, and she has written four books about learning, movement, and the brain. One of those books is titled Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. We're pleased to have Dr. Hannaford join us today all the way from beautiful Montana, where she currently resides with her family. Hello, Dr. Hannaford. Thank you so much for joining us today at Lifestyle Improvement. Thank you for doing what you're doing, spreading the word of what works. I would love to know what made you decide to become a kinesiologist. And when did you make that leap from being a biologist to writing books to help parents understand how their kids learn? At the University of Hawaii, I was using... Uh, a learning method called super learning. Georgie Lazarnoff had set this up to help, especially with language development. Um, biology is Latin, so I was using it. And so this principal asked me to come and work with the intermediate school, with the CSAP kids, Comprehensive Student Alienation Program, uh, for nine weeks, just a little pilot program with kids that were really struggling. And I thought, great. This is a nice opportunity. My daughter was just going into the intermediate school. As a single parent, I thought, great, I can be with her. She was mortified I would do this to her. <laughs> but nonetheless, I consented. And right before that, I took a class on Touch for Health because when I was teaching at the University of Denver in the 1970s, they were giving scholarships to uh, the nurses to take Touch for Health and use it in the hospitals there. And so my, a lot of my students I was working with, anatomy and physiology, and they were taking it, would come in and show me different things, and it was fascinating. So I wanted to know more. Well, Fran Woolard, who taught this Touch for Health class, which is a kinesiology class, said, if you're going to work with these kids, you need to know Brain Gym. And she showed me four. Four brain gyms is all. One was unrolling the earlobes. Another was doing lazy eights with the eyes. Another was cross-crawling the midline, which is like a, a walking. Uh, and the third was hookups, which is very powerful. It's activating all areas of the brain. I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. They gave me 19 students that I would meet with individually. I didn't know what to expect, and that's great for a scientist because double blind and you just don't know what to expect. And after about two and a half weeks of 
meeting with these kids individually and doing different things and doing the brain gym and having a beat a second music in the background, which is part of super learning. Here comes the English teacher. And she says, what are you doing with Jesse? And I said, well, oh, a little bit of this and some of this and this. And I said, why? And she said, you don't know about Jesse? And I said, you know, I'm teaching full-time at the university. I'm a full-time single parent, and I'm doing this nine-week pilot, which was taking a lot of time. And I said, I didn't read the folders for these kids. Thank God. So I had no preconceived notions. I remember when Jesse came in, I thought, gee, he looks older. And he was. He's 17 in intermediate school. And apparently, he'd been beaten from the day he was born. He was angry. He couldn't do math. He couldn't read. And when he came to me, you know, I said, well, what would you like? What would you like to work on? And he says, reading. I said, great. What are you interested in? And he said, motorcycles. Back in the 1960s, I had a 650 Norton. So <laughs> we went to the library and we got some magazines on motorcycles. And I had him do these movements. The teacher said he offered to read in the English class. And she was blown away. And I said, wow. And then all of a sudden, all these other teachers started coming to me. What are you doing with Leilani? What are you doing with Susie? What are you, oh, a little bit of this and a little bit. of. And then the principal came and said, would you do an in-service for the teachers? And it was like, I don't know anything. I'm, I'll show you what I'm doing. And then I got really interested. The first class that came to the Big Island where I was teaching in Hawaii was an in-depth class on brain gym, which is unbelievable. I saw things happen there. As a neurophysiologist, I knew could not happen. And I had to know. I had to know. And so I started going to these classes, and they call ahead. They'd say, be careful. This woman's going to be in your class. She's going to ask bad questions. And I would say, you know, what's happening neurologically? And they go, just trust it works. Well, this was back a long time ago. <laughs> you know, it was in the 80s. And at that time, what we felt was that the neocortex of the brain was the most important part. And that the body below here was a distraction. And so what you would have to do is get kids to sit still and be quiet and learn. I couldn't find a lot in the research as I was really trying to figure out why this was so powerful. And I could tell you story after story. It was amazing. There was a girl there that had been uh, thrown against a wall when she was just a couple months old by a stepfather and had brain damage. And I worked with her and she she couldn't speak. She couldn't read. She uh, One of her legs was weird and she couldn't walk well. I had worked with her. She started talking in full sentences. She started telling jokes, which is, is a high level kind of thinking. She, her whole physiology changed in her ability to kick a ball, for instance. The pediatrician called me and said, what are you doing? And it was like doing these movements, these cross-lateral integrated movements. But I don't know. From my own knowledge of the body, I know that right in the 
The frontal lobe is the motor cortex, and it has to do with fine motor. And that the cerebellum in the back of the brain is very important for gross motor. And so I started looking at things and not much came up. But it's when I started writing Smart Moves because I needed to know. And so I put together what I could understand of the body. And as you know, you've heard of the vestibular system, which develops. It's so important. That is fully Develop the semicircular canals of the inner ear are fully developed by a month after conception. They're picking up sound at that time, but they're also, all that sound is actually activating movement within the developing embryo. Here is this vestibular system that then in us, and it, you know, by the age of about four months in utero, when the cochlea takes over the sound part, has to do with balance and movement. And that there's some connection there with movement and balance. It's so key to making sure that we learn well for a lifetime. And so then in 1999, something happened that changed the whole way we see the brain. Gerd Kepperman and Fred Gage, University of California, discovered that we're actually growing new nerve cells until the day we die. And we had always thought by the age of eight, you've got all your nerves. And then you just connect it up, you know, with these dendritic connections. But no, this was as many as 60,000 new nerves a day in an area of the brain called the hippocampus that has to do with memory. We've also found the Japanese did some major studies and found that we're actually growing new nerve cells in the spine and also in the olfactory lobes that have to do with smell, which is really exciting. And Henrietta von Prague, who is a student of Marion Diamond's at Berkeley, Marion Diamond is what I would consider the grandmother of enriched environments. You know, early on, she wrote all of these books that had to do with how people learn. Actually, she was working with rats and mice, but how these rats and mice would learn in an enriched environment where there was lots of space, fresh air, good food, playmates, and toys. So Henrietta said, okay, what is it in the environment that is allowing us to grow these new nerve cells. So she went in and with these rats and mice and took apart all of these different things. And what they discovered, it had to do with running wheels, cross-lateral integrated movements. It was these running wheels we discovered actually caused the neurogenesis of this these cross-lateral movements. And of course, way back when, I mean, 30 years ago, uh, Marion Diamond had said it was movement that had, you know, in, caused these mice and rats to learn better. And she said, humans, probably true in humans too. And we said, we're not rats and mice, you know, and sloughed it off. But now we had the research. And so all of a sudden, and, I, and you probably have noticed this, all of a sudden in all of the journals, all of the newspapers, everything, it talks about the importance of movement for a lifetime in order to grow these new nerve cells. That 
stabilize my understanding, you know, of what was happening with these students that I was working with. And this nine-week project ended up being four years long. And the next year, the principal for the grade school said, would you work with the special ed kids? So I was at the grade school for three years also working with special ed kids. So was all of this information that you were gathering, like the laboratory to create basically the thesis of your book? Absolutely. This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387. 5773387 extension 101 caregiver survival 101 because care starts with you so was all of this information that you were gathering like the laboratory to create basically the thesis of your book absolutely absolutely these kids were showing me things just blew my mind constantly seeing the importance of this movement, these cross-lateral movements for learning. And the kids were doing so well. And we were able to test and see the difference, you know, in the different tests. That got me started. So from there, I wrote Smart Moves. And then I was invited to go, actually in 1988, with the AHP Soviet Project, which is the humanistic psychology Uh, group. So we were, there were 12 of us, we were the first teachers into Russia at Perestroika. And we worked with Russian teachers. It was very interesting to see what they were doing and also add to their repertoire what we were doing. And what was most interesting to them were these movements. And I was very surprised. And it was an exciting time. I find it very fascinating how you went into an environment that you were able to connect the performance of the kids and you saw evidence that the movements that they were making was actually impacting their performance. And you decided, parents need to know about this. I need to write a book. I just needed to get my thoughts down. And and one of the people that I'd run into said, I'll publish that. And then the second year I was there... One of the people that was working with the Brain Gym work told me about dominance patterning using muscle checking. And I had worked with Bob Samples back in the 1970s to find, you know, we we're looking at learning styles and, and dominances, and we had it all figured out. We figured if you're right-handed, you're left brain, you know, all of that was nice and cut and clear. When Colleen showed me the muscle check to use for dominance, I was 
fascinated. And of course, here I had all these students. So I started doing dominance patterning with them. And I found out the most amazing things is that here, these special ed kids, special ed kids in the elementary school, 89% of them were all right dominant, all right blocked, which means that when they're under stress, they just shut down. The right hemisphere controls the left side of the brain and, and the senses like the eyes come in, the ears come into there, the hand, the feet. But these kids were all right. So the right brain, right eye, right ear, right hand, right foot. So when they were under stress, they shut down. And that was so interesting to me. And, you know, as I started doing more of these profiling, I then started doing a major project with that. That, of course, showed up too in Smart Moves, the first book that I wrote. And that's the title of, actually, that's part of your next book that you write. Before we move into The Dominus, because I have questions about that as well. It's a great book. I would actually like to go back to the brain gym. So in your book, you mentioned some really cool activities that we can do to help our bodies be ready to learn better. And you call it brain gym. And I, I think that just in general, when you hear brain gym, you would just assume it's just like exercises for the brain, right? But there's probably more to it. And I would like to, to expand on that a little bit more. And can you also maybe tell some of the parents or the caregivers, one thing that they can help themselves with, or maybe their kids to help them become more energized when they feel really tired, which because I think that is one of the things that brain gym can do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first of all, let me just tell you some history of this. So apply kinesiologist working very early, working with muscle structure and how the body works with that. George Goodhart was one of our greatest pioneers in kinesiology. John Thee developed the Touch for Health work, which is kinesiology and, like I say, was being used in the hospitals and stuff. And again, working with muscle structure and, that, and the cross-lateral. Paul Dennison, who is an educator, took the work of these people and put it into a really elegant format, which is the brain gym, which can be used anywhere at any time in any kind of a situation, not just with kids learning, but with sports and with music and with business people. I've worked with business people all over the world. What it does is it activates whole brain learning. And so this is what the kinesiologists have been doing. And Paul Dennison just put it into a format that is educational and, and easy to use in a classroom or isn't used with anybody anywhere. That's the history. What can parents do? A lot. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we know, the best activities is just a cross crawl, taking a walk, but cross crawling. And what you're going to do is stand up and you're going to touch your right hand to your left knee and then your left hand to your right knee and back and forth. Children will that are really having difficulties have missed some of those early reflexes where it's so important to have a baby on their belly and exploring their world when they're a baby. And I know a lot of parents have been really afraid of sudden infant death, SIDS, and so they lay their baby on the side or on the back but then they don't have the exploratory area to work with these reflexes. And we do know from the research that 
the small amount of children, of babies with SIDS really we're not seeing a correlation here with being on their bellies. Maybe when they're sleeping, they should be on their side or their backs. But when they're awake, they need to be on their bellies. They need to be working their hands. They need to be working their eyes and their, their necks and their core of their body. And we see so many children today that are missing that. And we also see children that are spending so much time in car seats or in strollers or whatever. And they need to be, the best thing you can do is carry the baby, but carry them in so that their head is in. This is a huge thing that bugs the heck out of me and OTs too and PTs is these carriers where the baby is facing out like a, uh, you know, to protect the parent like a shield. And here they are with all of their sensory input out here where it's unsafe and they're just being bombarded by the world. The other thing is they're dangling. Their legs are dangling. And so it screws up the the pelvic structure and their ability then to walk and to crawl first properly and then to walk. They need to be against the body where they have their legs against the body, either in the front or in the back where there's some pressure, which helps to organize that whole pelvic structure so that later they can crawl well and then walk. You know, starting early, babies need to be on their bellies. They need to be exploring and they need to be crawling. Starting early and to adult. Very important. And it helps the eyes. It, It activates the eyes to be able to function coherently Uh, where they're teaming together. So they've got to be doing that. So if they're not, you know, one of the things you can do is just cross crawl. The kids that are having problems will do what we call a homolateral crawl. Well, they'll use the same arm and leg, come up and then the other. We call it a puppet crawl. And they're only using one side of the brain and then the other. They're not crossing the brain. They're not using the whole brain to do it. We want them to cross that midline. Okay, that's so important. So crossing midline being an essential element to be able to create that connection, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And here's another important feature is to go slow. If they go slow, they have to have balance to do it. And so the slower they go, the more balance. So I will have the kids, normally you get them going, you know, and cross crawling and, and they go really fast you know, because they don't have to have balance in going really fast. And then I'll say, who can go granny slow and make it a game? So they have to go as slow as they can. And if they can get their elbow across on their knee, that's great. You know, so, you know, giving them some little challenges like that, more advanced, it makes such a huge difference in their ability to read, to write, to I mean, just to learn. You know, way back, Dolman and Delicato. Now, here were some uh, kinesiologists. Right now, their program, I don't agree with at the moment. But back in the 60s, they were working with stroke patients. And what they would do is get them down on the floor crawling. And they would recuperate so fast from the stroke because you're activating the whole the whole body. Fantastic. That's great information. And like you said, that that piece seems to be essential, even as you are developing. And some kids have missed that 
stage of development and may have to go back and do that as well. So great advice to sharpen up your brain when you're feeling a little tired, just do a little cross crawling, right? Cross crawling, yeah. Fantastic. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part one of our interview with Dr. Carla Hannaford. Dr. Hannaford is a biologist, a kinesiologist, and an educator with more than 40 years of teaching experience. She has been recognized by the Who's Who in American Education, received awards from the University of Hawaii and the American Association for the Advancements of Science for outstanding teaching and in 2006, she was a distinguished lecturer for the National Association of Elementary School Principals. In addition, Dr. Hannaford is a prolific author, and she has written four books about learning, movement, and the brain. One of those books is entitled Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And don't forget to come back and join us again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part two of our interview with Dr. Carla Hannaford.